This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Okay, so we finally made it to the top of the wall. Yep, and Lord Destrix is standing there. Finally. Yeah, I've been waiting to take a piece of him for a while. <laughs> he points to the city below with a blade in his right hand. And with the blade in his left hand, he pokes at the rope, suspending the wooden cage over the other side of the wall. Inside the cage, you can see the innkeeper and his wife struggling against their bonds. Uh, is this going to be one of those things, Destrix? Exactly. You have two choices. In less than a minute, my minions will unleash the basilisk's curse on the city square. Everyone in the city center will be turned to stone. And you can stop them if you hurry. But if you do, he taps the rope once again, the innkeeper and his wife, the people who took you in when you first arrived in the city, will perish. You can't save them and the city. You fiend. Don't worry, Sarna Girl. We'll try to find a way to save you. Destrix begins gently slicing the rope, cutting several strands, popping him free, and the cage begins to waver above the hundred-foot drop. No! Eh, whatever. We can't save everybody. I guess we let him drop. Let's go save the city. What? What? There's more people in the city. It's the rational choice. I'm going to miss Sarna's veggie soups. And with that, welcome to the 431st episode of the Mystery and Mark podcast. Tonight, we discuss emotional investment in RPGs and how to make the most of it. Along the way, we'll take comments, suggestions, and examples from the chat room for life before heading into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. Welcome back. It's Tuesday night. We're doing a show. Mm-hmm. And as per usual at this moment, we're going to check on our well-being here before we head into the lobby. How's everybody doing tonight, Phil? Um, not good. I mean, physically fine, right? Like, I don't, you know, no ailments, no nothing. Uh, mentally like garbage. Um, still depressed, mostly apathetic. Um, not really wanting to do very much of anything. Everything's kind of a, a chore to get going, get like to get done show notes and game prep and things like that. So, uh, yeah. Not great. Mostly sleeping. Well, hopefully we can lift you up a little bit here for a couple hours. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, how about you? I am, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Physically, I'm feeling pretty good. Mentally, um, a little bit uh, a little bit drained. Um, allergy season is, is a pain in the you-know-what. Um, it's slowly starting to, uh, starting to, uh, uh, respond to all the medication and stuff so we got that so um it's uh it's getting there a couple of days things for allergies will be better and then i should be uh i should be squared away for a while jerry what about you um doing pretty good physically um recovered from my shot yesterday so i'm pretty i'm feeling pretty decent uh mentally it's been good just a, a little out of it i had a weird weekend where i was just mentally all over the place um and then not horrible, just kind of disjointed. And then because I was off yesterday, today feels like Monday. So I've been working all day today like it's a Monday, not a Tuesday. 
which just throws off my whole yeah weekly vibe. But, Somebody's uh, got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's, it's it's not bad. Just just a little bit discombobulated. Uh, but yeah, allergies are just beating me up all over the place, which they uh, always do this time of year. So I'm gonna get through it. Temporary. Yep. All right. Exactly. All right. Let's roll on into the thing, the one thing. And my one thing is I am heading out in the morning to go get my second COVID shot. So yay for that. I will be fully vaccinated. Um, by the time you're hearing this, if you're not watching the live show, I will be fully vaccinated. So yay for that. I yeah, am, uh, that's awesome. Looking forward to making that next step. And then a couple weeks after that, I get to hang out with my parents for real and actually like hug my mom and dad. Because we will all be vaccinated, and it'll be weeks after, and and everything will be square, and it'll be nice. Yeah, that'll be excellent. Just uh, remember to reserve some time in case you get run over. You know, like oh, if the vaccine runs you over. Absolutely, I already I already told the uh, the folks at work that Wednesday Wednesday is tomorrow. I'm getting the shot. Thursday, I'm taking the day off. So whether I nice. get hit by a COVID train or the COVID vaccine train or not, I'll have the day off. So. There you go. Good. So there we go. Um, Jerry, what about you? I had my second COVID shot yesterday. Um, Yay. So uh, my my left arm feels like I got slapped in this in the shoulder with a sledgehammer. But other than that, the rest of it's not bad. Uh, I was stiff and achy this morning, but uh, and, and I've been a little bit mogey all day, tired wise. But other than that, nothing much. But I process meds and things really quickly. Uh, sometimes too quickly. I've woken up from every operation I've ever been in under. So I didn't expect this to be an all-out thing. So um, I'm feeling better now. So I'm looking forward to uh, getting things moving. Uh, we can all give each other a hug in, in 10 more days, so yeah. 11 more days. So sounds good. Uh, Phil? Uh, yeah, I, I, can't keep, uh, I can't keep the pattern going because I got my shot last month. But uh, um, So I'll, I'll, break with, I'll break with the pattern. Um, I finished watching Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, poor, poor season four. <laughs> um it starts having to come out of season three which is already a problem um it has a couple good episodes in the middle and then wow that ending the, the wrap-up for season four of enterprise was just like a punch in the face to that ending uh, is the worst it's a it's a total disservice to that cast yeah. like Whoa. it is um Oh, it's awful. Like, I, I don't know any other way to put it. Like, yeah. I it, everything about it is wrong. Like, I mean, just like, I, and I don't like, I, I, Andy Fox is watching, so I don't want to give any spoilers. Uh, but just every part of it is executed incorrectly. Just right down the line. They, oh, it's, yeah, that, it's that awful. is a notoriously um, um, argumentative episode for a lot of people it's arguably the worst thing that Paramount has ever done to Star Trek. It's actually amazing. Discovery got made (laughs) based on that ending. Like they they had a long stretch in between there. They didn't have anything. It's (laughs) it's bad. It's bad. And here's the thing. The first two seasons that show are actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, The third show is just, the third show is just the wrong writing. Like Enterprise Galactica was a problem. And the fourth season, you can tell that they knew they were in trouble from the third season. And they're just like, they're all over the place. And like, it's, oh, it never gets, that season never completely gets its footing. And then as it's like, just kind of coming together, it's over. Yeah. (laughs) 
and over unceremoniously, like just brutal. Needless to say, that'll be an interesting one when we get around to doing a watch party of it. Oh, it would have been better if they had just not done a finale, right? Like (laughs) they'd just done an episode and never made another episode. (laughs) Just be like, we're done. (laughs) Like, like how you cancel other shows, right? Like just, if it had just ended, I would have been like, wow, it didn't have a finale. That kind of sucks. But instead it has a finale and I now have to live with it. Oh, so Yes. (laughs) That's Enterprise. So now um, the path is clear for me to get ready to start uh, Disco. Yeah, baby. So I'm kind of um, I'm excited. I got to go get a Paramount subscription this week. Yay. That's on my list of things to do. I'm ready to we'll watch talk about that again. later in the community <laughs> chat room. All right. All right. Anyway, we should talk about announcements. Uh, we really don't have too many uh, in the way of announcements. Uh, I'll just mention we're on week six of Voyager. I guess if you want to jump in, you could. We're like partway into season three. Um, You know what? I'd say this. If you're like, hey, I think I just want to watch some Voyager episodes with the misdirected Mark crew. You could jump in anytime. You might just want to wait a few more weeks till we jump into season four where the show takes a a big leap forward in terms of writing. Um, But season three is not bad. Like, I actually like good episodes last week. Yeah, yeah. I actually like a number of episodes in... uh, um, in, in season three. So, you, you know, just come join us. If you have, like, if you've never watched Voyager, we're starting to get to the point where you're not going to, you're going to, you're going to have to really binge to catch up with us. Yeah. Um, but if you want to watch Voyager, but you're like, Hey, I can't keep up with your schedule. You could still just go to the forums. I have all the episodes posted mm-hmm. with like little descriptions and all of that. So yep. you could just feel free to uh, play the home game. Yeah. Like yourself. You don't actually yeah. have to keep up with us with it. You could just use the list that we post and just enjoy yourself. Totally valid. I'm playing totally the home valid. game this week because I'm getting up early to go head out and get my shot. So I'm not staying up with the watch party tonight. So I've already watched oh. those two episodes. And oh, okay. Good. You watch feels. those two episodes. I have some feels. We'll have to talk about that later. There's... A- <laughs> There's uh there's some very interesting uh, guest appearances in that episode. Oh yeah, um, and there's a like I said in the uh, teaser, there's a big, uh, what you call it? There's something big for one of the one of the uh, main characters. It may not seem big, but it becomes a, it becomes a thing that. Um, yep. Well, I'll tell you off, mics. I'm sure you've already figured it out. Yeah, I, I, I figured it out. I it'll be it'll be it'll be entertaining for everybody. Enjoy the show tonight. That's good. Yes. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Right, and that is pretty much it for announcements. Um, so we're going to roll on into the feature segment, which is one of Phil's favorites. You ready to go there? I got you. All right, let's do this. Workshop, workshop. It's all about emotional play. Cry, laugh, rage with all your emotions in every scene. We're going to talk about how to do it properly. We're going to talk about how to set it up here in the workshop. Don't suck. Don't don't suck. <laughs> All right. Tonight we're going to do a topic that I wanted to discuss, which is emotional play. Um, we're going to go into it for stuff and reasons and. Um, <laughs> what? You see where it says capital stuff? Yes. That usually means somebody like needs to fill in stuff. <laughs> okay. That's fill code. Don't you remember? No, I don't. I haven't seen the fill code playbook. Normally, Phil puts notes in there in parentheses. 
Like, this is where you need to fill things in. Like he does for the intro where he says, like, how about an intro where every, where one person gets more excited than the other? Okay, side. <laughs> all right, sidebar for a second. Anytime you see the word stuff in capital letters, that means, means that more. it needs more stuff here. Okay. Uh, that's, that's important to know that. That's so from a Jerry I side. I you in on yes. that one already. Yes. I missed that. Uh, I've I've played, uh, okay, yes, yes, send it. Someone else got a stuff note. This I think it's my first one like this. Um, but no, uh, yeah, I want to get in this because I've, I've played a lot of games in the last couple of years where um, I can tell if the game is supposed to be emotional. And for one reason or another, there just wasn't a lot of hook to it. Um, I've also played in a game that we had a player sabotage the emotional player, which is a different thing entirely. I mean, as a GM, I've also tried to introduce some things. And just it's something I'm interested in. I like it when it goes off well. Um, it can be frustrating when it doesn't go off well. And I, you know, we're going to talk about this in the after or in the uh, the later part of the show. Um, I've been in some games that were supposed to be very emotional and didn't because there wasn't anything to hook on as a player, and I wasn't sure how to get into that. So I wanted to talk about that. Um, so we're going to talk tonight about how emotional play works, uh, how to foster it as a GM and as a group, and how to tap into it as a player for stuff and reasons. Yes. So, Stuff and reasons. <laughs> and before we do that, you know we need to start by defining a few terms. So, let's do this for Phil. Behold! You are in the presence of Definition Panda. Alright, what do you got for us tonight? Alrighty. Let's start off with the word emotions. A natural instinctive state of mind deriving from one's circumstances, mood, or relationship with others. I think we're all familiar with emotions here. Happy, sad, angry, jealous, dot, 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 dot. Um, we as humans feel emotions for all sorts of reasons under many, many different circumstances. As players in, in an RPG, we can also feel emotions during play. Um, we can feel our emotions. Um, we can feel the emotions of our character as they experience thing in, things in the game. Uh, we can also feel emotions as players when we experience other parts of the game outside of our characters, which brings us to our next definition for tonight, which is bleed. Um, and this um, definition comes from Emily Kerboss, who coined the term. Um, bleed is the overlap between player and character emotions, maybe positive, negative, or otherwise. Bleed is when the emotional state of either the character or the player crosses over to the other. Bleed in is when the emotions of the player affect the character, right? So you're bleeding your emotions into your character. Bleed out is when the emotional state of the character uh, begins to affect the player. So we're a couple of, yeah, give me yeah. give us a couple examples, Jer. So bleed in would be like when your character's near death and the player becomes excited. And in that, the character, the character starts to yell and become rash. But bleed out is, for example, your character's lover's broken up with you and the sadness of that situation makes the player themselves sad. And yeah. so it goes both ways. Absolutely. Right. The source of emotions is always going to be from the player, right? Your character does not feel emotions. Um, you feel emotions. Um, bleed defines the term in which way the input is coming, mm -hmm. right? So is it coming from the character into the player, right? Like that's getting the player, uh, you know, the player's feeling the character's emotions. Is it coming from the player into the character? The character is now expressing the player's emotions. Um, these are not mutually exclusive either, right? So you can be bleeding in for one emotion and bleeding out for another. Mm -hmm. 
not to make that terribly complicated, but the real takeaway here is that your character does not have feelings, right? right? You have feelings. Your character does things that you tell it to, right? Okay. Uh, emotional play. Um, these are games where one of the focuses of the game is to express and experience strong emotions through play. Um, while we can experience emotions through any kind of game or play, um, there are games that are specifically designed to evoke strong emotions. For example, yep. Okay. Uh, if you have the death of a beloved NPC in a D&D game, it's going to bring about some sort of emotion to the players. There's nothing mechanically set for creating emotions in D&D, but if an NPC that's important dies, it's gonna, something's going to happen in the game and some people are going to feel something for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on the other hand, the game Turning Point has mechanics specifically designed into it to help create the lead during the game. The whole point of that game is, is to, well, one of the big points of that game is to feel. So it makes a big difference. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the, the takeaway really from this part is that um, the things we're talking about are going to be applicable to any kind of game. Uh-huh. But there are times where you are playing a game specifically, and I say in whole or in part, for the emotional experience, right? So um, sometimes you're just not, right? Like sometimes you're just playing a game and the emotions sneak up on you um, in it. And other times you're, you know, that's your intent. Okay, last one is emotional investment. Uh, When a player has emotions about an element, an NPC location or situation uh, within the game, the interaction with this element will produce emotions. Um, And this is when a player chooses to invest or connect emotions to some part of the game. Uh, And it might be something like? Uh, For example, they have love for their animal companion, or they talk about the comfort that their ancestral home brings them, or they get really angry about the current interstellar war that's going on. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, This has to be done by the players, but it can be done on behalf of their characters through bleed, right? So what I mean by this is like your player may love uh, their animal companion or um, you as the player may just love the idea of having an animal companion. You're expressing it through um, your character. Again, this is going to become important in in just a few minutes. (laughs) Again, all emotions come from the player. Yeah. So, Jerry, if the player is the source of all emotions, then what does that tell us about the core of emotional play? Well, uh, the key is in emotional play is going to come from the player. Um, Ken Height said something very profound about making people scared in horror games. And I think it was in his intro to Group's Horror, I believe. I'm not sure. We'll have to look that up. But uh, he said there's nothing the GM can do to make the player feel scared. They're either going to choose to or not. The same is going to be true for emotional play in general. The GM can't make anybody feel emotional about their character, the situation, their bonds, and so on. That's going to be up to the player, and the player has to want to feel those things. Yeah, and that's not to say that players don't have emotional responses while playing games, right? Mm -hmm. They certainly do, right? You can get excited with a critical strike. You can get worried during a death save. You can get angry at a betrayal. Like, that is absolutely – some of those are just involuntary responses to to a game. What we're saying is that – a GM cannot make a specific, cannot make a scene, um, make a scene produce with 100% accuracy feelings within a player slash character, right? Like you can't just be like, I'm going to make this sad scene and now you're all going to be sad. 
And and it, and it, like it really won't work if the players just are not connected to it or choose not to be set. Yeah, we've I've been in a couple of games as a player where the GM has done something amazing and waited for everybody to be connected, and everybody hates their favorite NPC. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You just, you can't like GMs do not have like emotional manipulation powers um, in the game. Like you just can't make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't make players care about things. Like it's all voluntary. Players have to choose to, to do those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the key to emotional play is that the players have to want to engage in that emotional play. Once that's established, then there's a chance for situations and scenes to evoke those kind of emotions. And that makes perfect sense. It sounds like we also have some session zero work to do, of course. So, Phil, how do we foster emotional play? Yeah, right. I mean, we we're, this is exactly a session zero thing. Um, surprise, because so much of our GMing advice is like start at session zero. But it's yeah. true, right? Like, um, we do need to start at session zero for this. And if the intent is for our game to have emotional play, to, to play with strong emotions, we need to set that up when we get the game started so that everybody's like, you know, in on it um, mm-hmm. and wanting to do it. And so there are three areas that we want to address um, as you deal with this in your session zero. All right. So the first of these is going to be consent. The first is going to be consent. And consent is really important. Before we do any other work, we need people to consent to this kind of play. Um, depending on the game you're running, this consent uh, may need to be for the whole group, so it's like turning point, or it could just be player by player, where some players want to be invested and some don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, consent, as we've talked about before, needs to be both informed and enthusiastic. It means that everybody understands fully what we're trying to achieve, and everybody consents are excited to do so. Uh, and in doing this, everyone is agreeing to be open in the emotional play, and that's the first step. And doing so creates the possibility for the emotional play. Yeah, I mean, it's really the foundation of the whole thing, right? Do we all agree Mm -hmm. uh, to do this? So if we Mm -hmm. do agree to do it, then next comes safety. Uh, We need to make sure that our emotional play is not harmful for anyone in the group. And for that, we're going to use some safety tools to make sure that we engage in emotional play that is safe for everyone. Um, We're not going to go too deeply into safety tools here. We've done it in different places. Um, but I do want to talk about the general tools that work best for emotional play. Uh, and I'm just going to run through, uh, I'll just run through them. Uh, so you want a boundary setting tool, right? Define what topics are allowed and not allowed in play, right? Best represented by lines and veils. Um, you will want a consent revoking tool. Uh, this is the ability to stop play when something becomes unsafe. Uh, this is what the X card does. Uh, I personally like a consent affirming tool, the ability to indicate the continuation of play or even the escalation of play when somebody's not sure if we're still in a safe place or not. Um, for this, I you know, I'm, have always been a fan of uh, the one that Senda and I modified for Turning Point, which is the OK check-in. Uh, and then lastly, you'll want a de-escalation tool. The ability to be able to step back from something that's intense and, you know, have the chance to lower your emotional state. Um, And that's best represented by open table. Now, again, there are many, many different tools. Um, You can find those things in different tools. I like those four. Um, Those four say to me, um, first, we have boundaries, what's in, what's out. We have the ability to say no. 
we have the ability to say yes or yes and a bit more please and we have a way to take a deep breath yep. when we need to um i like those you can play with less of them but that's kind of my that quad is my favorite um my favorite set of um features in a safety toolkit okay um, there are a number of resources out there on the internet you can find for safety. There are publications, there are web pages, et cetera. Um, if people in the chat room have a question about it, um, we'll be happy to point you towards some, but by all means, um, there is no shortage at this point in 2021. Um, find, you know, find the ones that fit your group uh -huh. and use them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, when we do this, uh, we, when we, when we do this, we're, we're helping to build trust for emotional play. Having these tools does not instantly create trust, but what it says is first it says, because we all buy into these tools, um, we care enough for each other to use them. That's a first yeah. level of trust. Uh, second of all, it lets us know personally that if I'm going to play with something very emotional, I have a way to handle it if I feel like it's getting out of control and that will also help foster uh, trust. Mm -hmm. Okay. Go ahead, Jim. That's good. I think that uh, first of all, I was going to say, I think that it's never a bad idea to go over safety tools. You can never be too safe. Correct. So, Absolutely. Um, I, I think I do it in every one of my session zeros. Mm -hmm. All right. The next thing we have to talk about is connections. Um, this is going to be the last thing we talk about, about how to create connections for the character. In order for the characters to have any strong emotions, they need to care about things. And they need to have emotional investment in something in the game. So at the start of the game, nothing's happened for the players. So the characters live some part of their life. So during Section Zero, as characters are created, you're going to want to create some elements that the players can put some initial emotional investment in. Um, later during the game, you can play through events, new connections will be created, old ones will be changed or lost. And this will you to have some initial connections that's going to let the players start off with some potential emotional connections in up front. Um, good things like bonds or friendships, leading questions can do, can do this sort of thing. Um, if you're not sure what you want the players to be invested in, as a GM, you can ask, give them something to think about. Uh, we've had some good examples over the last couple of years discussed on the show. So, Phil? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, depending on the game you're playing, because remember, we said you can play with, you can have emotional play in any kind of game. Yeah. Depending on the game you play, you're playing, you will either have connections built into the game or not right so if you're playing a game like turning point um turning point has all of these parts i'm sorry what i'm i guess let me back up i wasn't just talking connections i'm talking about all three i'm talking yes. about um i'm talking about consent safety and connections right so if you're playing a game like turning point all three of those are actually built into turning point um, you, 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 you know, you do consent, you do, there's a whole safety section and then there's a whole section when you build the character, uh, for creating connections and things like that. Uh, other games like PBTA and fate, um, will set up connections. Um, they have mechanics for that, like through bonds, like you said, or, um, the fate, um, aspect trio, if you're playing like traditional, um, uh, fate core, right? But it doesn't really address consent or safety. Like you got to bolt that on yourself, right? Like just go get some safety tools, bolt them on. What is the aspect um, trio? Oh, the aspect trio. So in fate core, if you remember, um, and no one uses this because everybody changes it when they make another That's fate why. game. That's but what I'm you do is um, each person mm -hmm. uh, is each person basically like sets up like a um, 
like almost like a book or an adventure. And the person next to them is like, a, is part of that adventure. And it like creates a, and you create an aspect from whatever it is you did. Yeah. Okay. So it basically creates bonds. Okay. Got it. But like I said, like almost every fate designer um, goes in and whacks that section out um, and just, you know, comes up with their own way to, to assign those other three, um, those other three aspects. But if you ever go back and read Fate Court, it's kind of a neat uh, thing. And it, it came from, I'm pretty sure that came from Spirit of the Century, yeah. um, which did that as well. Yep. Where, where you, you did like a, like a pulp novel kind of thing. And yep. somebody was like your co-star in the pulp novel. Cool. Yeah. Um, if people seriously remember that game, because I only sparsely remember, please don't beat me up if I'm not completely accurate on that. But No, I think you're right. Okay, good. All right, so so like I said, PBTA and fake games, they're going to get you the connections, but you got to come up, you got to bring your own safety tools. Yep. And if you get into some older games, uh, like BXD and D, like you're on your own. Like yep. <laughs> there's no connections, there's no safety, there's no nothing. You're going to have to build all that in yourself, which you totally can do. It's totally yep. fine. Absolutely. You could totally have a super high emotional play BX D and D game. If that's what you want to do, you're just going to have to do some more work to set the game up for that. Totally fine though. Cool. All right. All right. So now that our game is set up to have emotional play and knowing that we can't just make players feel things, how do we then create the potential for emotions and bleed as we're running the game, Jerry? The first thing you have to do is you have to create some sort of emotional scenes. Once you have everything in place for the potential for emotional play, the GM now needs to create situations in the game for emotional play to occur. The main way to do this is use things the players have emotionally invested already. And this is going to be done through some discrete activities. You should be working into your games as you go. Mm-hmm. The first activity is you got to put things in the game that have emotional potential, right? You got to just you got to you just got to throw some stuff at the wall. Um, you know, in this case, as a GM, you just put in elements that you think your players will react to and that are within the safety bounds that you've established, right? So, for instance, um, you might have the person in trouble uh, for the adventure that you're running be a child, right? Because helping children often evokes emotions in people. Um, and this process is going to be hit or miss, right? Yeah. You just need to throw stuff out there that has potential, it's random, you know, what hits, what misses. Um, and you just put it out there and like, just let it go. Like, like sprinkle it out there with your descriptions. Your like when you set up scenes and all of that, because that's going to lead to the next activity. Which is important when you do those things, which is pay attention and observe your players. Your player will, will be both consciously and subconsciously and emotionally investing in different elements of the game. As a GM, you have to see what they're investing in and note those things. These are things you can use later, uh, at least one or two from each character. Um, and it's important to think about, like, if you do the whole thing with the child in danger and the players very reluctantly go over and help only because they kind of have to, then, you know, that's not going to be a trigger for them in the future. And that's not going to be the way you're going to be able to get them invested in anything. Exactly. So it's pay attention to what they are interested in, what they're not. Yeah, I mean, if, but if but if they put their lives on the line mm-hmm. to get a horse that is like, you know, sliding into like a raging river and they like all of them, like, you know, make a human chain and, you know, use like spell slots or whatever to rescue this horse. Well, now you've got a, you know, you've got conversely, you've got an idea that maybe 
mm-hmm. that is something that will pro- you know provoke emotional responses. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've thrown stuff out. You've looked to see what sticks and what doesn't stick. You've noted the things that stick. The next mm-hmm. thing you got to do is grow those elements that the players are invested in. When you find something that a player is emotionally investing in, don't threaten it right away, right? Mm -hmm. Your knee-jerk reaction is going to be to, like, threaten it right away. But don't. Grow it by having scenes that build upon the emotion that the character is feeling, right? So if your player is fond of the baker in town, then every time they come back to town, make a scene available so that the player can talk to the baker and just have that FaceTime between the player and the baker and just let that um, character do some more emotional investment. And that's going to like, what that's going to do is you're now going to start to have a collection for each player of these things that the player is deeply emotionally invested in. Mm-hmm. You can and use then, these also, well, you can use these also as uh, story of the adventures. If you know the players like the baker, the baker is a good person to have some useful information for the players. So if they'll get more used to going back to them every time, then it'll be a little bit less legwork for the GM to get that information to the hands of the players as well. Yeah, absolutely. Find ways yeah. to work them into the yep. work them into the story. Yeah. Yep. All right. And lastly, you want to leverage your emotional investments. Now that you have that emotional investment, now you can use it to help evoke emotions in the players. Often this is going to be some sort of threat to the investment, but it can also be something like being asked for help, change the emotion that's invested. Um, just basically making things so that the players keep having encounters that are going to be emotional. So, for example, um, if an army marches onto your hometown, that's going to be a threat. Um, if your lover, the baker, asks you to cross the war zone to get the flower they need to stay in business, asking for aid, that's more help. And it's going to give the players some more reasons to go places and give them some, some good hooks to storytelling. And if your best friend, the Duke, turns out to be the necromancer that you've been searching for throughout the entire campaign arc, this is going to change that friendship into betrayal. And that's going to be an interesting emotional tug as well. Not Absolutely. Ways. Yeah. yeah. And, and these, so those activities, those discrete activities of, of, of throwing things out there, observing them, investing them, and then leveraging them, right? You should be doing that throughout your sessions. If you are focusing on emotional play, if you're not focusing on emotional play, just like do this as it comes along kind of thing. But if your goal is like, we're going to play this really emotional game. um, You want to be doing these activities uh, every session and across the board for your players. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not hard. You can do these a little, um, a little at a time throughout a session. If you like throw a few things out during one session, you can observe what's being emotionally invested by the players. Um, you can have a scene or two available for that kind of investment so they get a chance to role play with that actual emotional fringe. And lastly, you can use the leverage as a way to start an adventure. And that's going to raise the stakes or two or give yourself a twist and gives the players a chance to react but still be involved in the story uh, on their own. All right. Mm-hmm. So now that we understand the GM side of this, what can players do to be good emotional characters, Phil? <laughs> yes, because this is not just a GM issue. No. This is absolutely a player side thing as well. The player's job is to take an active part in everything that we've described above. Right. None of the things we've talked about will work at all if the player is not on board. Right. That's why we started yeah. with consent. Right. We we had to create the we had to establish that we were all going to do this thing, 
All right. Players have to be open and enthusiastic about this kind of play if they're going to get into it. Right. They, you can't grudgingly, um, you shouldn't inflict emotional response. Like you shouldn't inflict emotional stuff on players who grudgingly or don't want to, um, who don't want to have emotional play. That's actually pretty dickish. That's actually not safe. Um, Don't do that. Right. Um, You want players who are uh, open and enthusiastic to this kind of play. So, Assuming that that is true, that you have all the consent and people are there, um, here are some things that you as a player can do to get more out of your uh, emotional play. Right. The first thing is, as a player, you should be making and finding connections yourself. Take an active part in creating connections to the elements of the game. Find the things that are interesting to you and point them out. Uh, the GM's going to toss things out there, but you can be open to receiving them. So if your game operates out of a town, Go out and make some friends in that town. Uh, and if you don't like what the GM's putting out as possible elements, help them out and give them some ideas. You know, hey, uh, I'm interested, you know, I, I like this town, but so far I haven't found anybody that I really like. Or, you know what, my character really likes uh, arrows and bows, so I'm going to go over and talk to the Fletcher and keep going back to that Fletcher over and over again so the GM has a reason to, to drop that hook. Um, mm-hmm. And if it's obvious they're pushing something on you, um, let them know that. You know, hey, you know what? I can kind of tell you're trying to get us to talk to the 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 barmaid, but so far she's been really annoying to all of us. So, um, is there something we're supposed to be figuring out here? Because hmm. uh, I'll tell you what, from being a player and as a GM, GMs aren't always aware of the effects their characters are having on the players, and sometimes you got to tell them both yep. good and bad. We really like that character a lot. Can we take them with us? Or wow, we don't want to ever talk to that character again. You know, let them know that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I, I tried, I, I personally as a GM try to remain fairly neutral yeah. about NPCs that I create and wait to see um, which ones the players get excited about. Yep. Um, like in our Tales from the Loop game, um, there was never a huge investment in Glenn's brother. Like he was in some yep. scenes, Joel, I think it was his name. Joel, he was yeah. in some scenes, but he never, like, it never really seemed to click. Yep. Conversely, Leah, who was, um, the the um, computer whiz that you went to um, all of a sudden got way more, like everybody got way more interested in Leah. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of like turned down the Joel knob yep. and was yep. like, well, we'll just, you know, Joel's around kind of thing. Uh, and I would do a couple scenes for Glenn because it was Glenn's brother. And that was like, you know, that was pretty good, but I like way turned up the Leah knob and like till she almost became a GMPC because um, everybody had a connection to her. Uh, in one way or another and it worked like it, it just worked out really well like that mm-hmm. so yeah that's um i mean that's part of on the gm side that's the knowing which ones to go with and on the player side it's really just kind of letting the players uh settle in on npcs they'll know which ones they like because um, you could design them in your head as being super awesome hysterical whatever but if it doesn't come off in the scene where you introduce them the players never make that connection, right? Wow. They're just like, oh, that 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 NPC's a jerk. Like, and you're like, really? I thought he was supposed to be like he was supposed to be really suave. And it's like, yeah, that's not what we got. We got that he was an ass. Yeah. Uh, I remember playing in a game where the GM introduced a Captain Jack Sparrow pastiche uh, into a bar, and uh, the players almost lynched him. I mean, we literally beat him unconscious and dragged him outside and almost hung him from the yard arm. Um, yeah. Because. Because he thought he was being suave and sophisticated and kind of piratey, and in actuality, he was 
Johnny Depp. And that's not a good that's not a good encounter for the party. Uh, we found him to be kind of a creeper and abusive, so we dragged him outside. Do you ever see um, that episode of The Simpsons where um, it's an early one where they have the cocktail party and Homer's trying to figure out why everyone's mad at him? So he like thinks back to the cocktail party. He's like a monocle, and he's like, you know, he's like telling really witty jokes and stuff. And then he s- slowly starts to remember what really happened that night. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 So the same thing happens to GMs. Like GMs think that they have this like really cool character um, and like players, like it rubs the players the wrong way. And once players, once, once a character has rubbed a player the wrong way, it is super hard without doing a lot of work to turn yep. that boat around on it. Yep. yep. Um, you can, you can, but first you have to recognize like, wow, these guys really hate this character and I kind of want them to stay what work do I need to do yeah, you, you to get do, this? You got to do a whole repositioning cruise on that one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You got to be like, I need to do a whole new scene to set this guy back up. Okay. Uh, the next thing you got to do as a player, you got to create your own investments. Like the GM is going to be helping you with this, but you got to get like, you got to also do the work to create investments. Um, they're going to be putting out elements you can suggest elements to the GM. That's also very cool. But you then also need to like look around and be like, I'm going to get emotionally invested in this thing. Like I'm going to take this up a notch Um, or, you know, I'm going to fall in love or I'm going to, that's my new, you know, that's my new um, um, enemy, like whatever, like you got to just, you know, you got to, you got to do your work as a player. Right. So if you have a few minutes in the town and the GM's like kind of going around the table asking like what kind of like, you know, who wants to do what? Go Mm -hmm. see the baker if you're like if you want to fall in love with the baker. Be like, you know what? I'm going to catch up with you guys later. I'm going to see the baker and get that Mm -hmm. scene. Now, you don't have to invest in every element that's out there. Um, As we said in the GM part, the GM's going to throw a whole bunch of them out there. Mm -hmm. Right. So you just pick the ones that you like and invest in them. Those are going to be the ones you put effort in. And again, because we explained on the GM side, they're going to be watching. They'll see you investing in these and you'll start to make that connection. And again, none of this has to be done telepathically. You can also tell the GM outside of the game, like I'm totally getting into this Baker. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing a few more scenes with this Baker, you know, in, in like, you know, sessions to come, like you can totally do that as well. You're not ruining anything. You're not like ruining any mysteries or anything by doing that. You can just say it out loud. Yeah. All right. What's the next one? You got to be vulnerable. You're not going to feel emotions if you're closed off the table. You need to open up and allow yourself to feel and then express those emotions. This is going to take some trust. Safety tools are a net. But it's going to take some trust to work with your fellow players. And you need to take the time to do that and talk to them about it. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Right. It's one thing to consent and be like, I want to play emotional play. But then you also have to like open up your feels, right? Like that's another step. Um, And what that's going to lead to is allowing bleed, right? This is so, so for me, and I don't, we'll, we'll ask people in the chat room and we'll talk about it ourselves at the round table. For me, this is how I get into like the real emotional play, um, which is I, I, I need to just bleed this stuff. Um, bleed is a conduit, right? It, it, it's a way, it's a way to, uh, to connect to emotions. It's a way to, um, push emotions into the character. 
if you're going to bleed out, then you're going to be conjuring emotions from things that are happening in the game, letting them, you know, come to you. Uh, if you're bleeding in, you're going to push emotions into your character um, to express them in the game. Bleed is your tool. It's not a, it's not a bug in emotional play. It's a feature. Okay, chair. Sorry, I'm sorry. I was going to answer anything on the on the chat room. Okay. The next thing is you need to connect these to your own experiences. You need to have a shortcut to strong emotions and find things in your life that you can use as reference. Uh, if an animal companion has died and you want to know how to feel, you connect them as to a loss you have as a pet. But be careful when you do this, is it's going to connect to powerful emotions in you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, I use this as a tool from time to time when I want to, um, when I want to find an emotion, right. Um, when I want to connect to something, um, and I want to turn that emotional volume up, I will go dig through, um, I will go dig through my emotions and see if there's something I can connect it to. Right. Um, uh, you know, like a sense of abandonment. Like when I was six, I got locked out of my house. There was a miscommunication with my mom and I came home from kindergarten and the house was locked up and my mom wasn't there. And for like, I, and this is the seventies, right? So there's no cell phone, right? I'm just locked out of the house. There's no neighbor I can go to. Um, and I like, you know, tried to keep it together. Um, but I was like, you know, I mean, I cried for a while and then I tried to keep it together and play a little to distract myself. But like, you know, I just hung out at the back of the back door of the house waiting until my mom came home. Mm -hmm. Um, if I need to, in a scene, hit that feeling of abandonment, I can go dig into that experience, right? I can just go remember what that felt like and pull that up and bleed it into the character, Right again, it comes with some dangers, right? Like you're, you know, you're now tapping into your own personal emotions and that can get into a lot. And that's again, what safety tools are for is that um, if this gets out of, out of hand, if this gets out of your control, you have tools to fall back on. So it's a huge and powerful, um, it's a huge and powerful tool. I also want to say, and this isn't in the notes, um, you don't want to, um, I'm trying to remember the term for this. You don't want to get into trauma tourism, right? You don't want to like, you don't want to, there's a danger, especially if it's done non-consensually with the rest of your group of playing out your traumas in a role-playing game. Um, your role-playing game is not your therapy group. Um, they may not even be remotely prepared for the safety issues involved yeah. in playing through your traumas. Um, and if you do it without telling anyone you're doing it, um, that's even like that's even more dangerous because then people can't even um, can't even keep an eye on you. Um, so that said, it's one thing to connect to certain emotional experiences. Um, it is another thing to turn your emotional play into a form of therapy right. with or without your group's consent. Mm -hmm. Okay, so on one hand, it is a powerful tool. It is another. On the other hand, it is a tool that can get misused. Um, and could do not only damage to yourself, but you could wind up, you know, you could wind up making the table say unsafe for other people if it gets out of hand. Yeah. Very careful. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, the next thing, um, and Jerry, you've talked about this. Well, I think we've talked about this on pandas mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, you got to take the worm. Yep. Like when the worm's put on the hook, you got to take it, right? This goes back to our intro, um, 
our intro at the beginning of the show. When the GM leverages one of your emotional investments, don't resist it or turn it off. Em- embrace it, right? Like you got to embrace it. Bob's, you know, and we do these, you know, we do these openings, you know, tongue yeah. in cheek, but yeah. you know, Bob's Bob's character in that, you know, was clearly closed off mm-hmm. to the emotional um, struggle of the town and the people that took them in. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And you could see it in play, right? Like it kept falling flat. Like Jerry's getting upset and anxious about what to do, the choice. And Bob's like, meh, right? Like, yep. whatever. Mm-hmm. So you got to take the worm, right? Again, if you're consenting, if you're enthusiastically consenting to emotional play um, and it's not a violation of safety, right? Again, if it's a violation of safety, you don't take the worm, you use yep. your safety tools, mm-hmm. but you got to like lean in on these things. Like that's how it gets started. So, you know, if all of a sudden the baker's in trouble, you got to like, be like, I'm saving the baker. Even if the walls of the town are crumbling, Mm -hmm. you're like, I got to save my love and, you know, do the thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exactly. Yep. The next thing you can do is just act. If all smells and you can't feel the emotion of the scene, but you know, it's supposed to be there, then act. Make it until you make it. Um, As long as it's safe for you and not, going against what your character is trying to do. Um, for some people, getting started is the hard part. So if you have to pretend you're angry when you're really not, that might be all you need to get fired up about what's going on. You know, okay, well, I really don't, you know, I don't seem to have any care. I don't know why we're supposed to care about this ba- this baker, but my character is supposed to. So damn it all, that's my baker. We're going to go save them, you know, and get rallied up about that sort of thing. Um, the key there, however, is I'm- as long as it's safe and fits with your character. Um, I mean, in, in some way, I had to do this as not back in our Dungeon World game. I had to do this so I wouldn't murder Tony's character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I had to make a reason for being invested in, like, like why are we going to let Tony keep, you know, conjuring dead gods that almost get us killed in this dungeon? Why don't I just separate his head from his body mm-hmm. and we'll be done with this problem? Um, and I basically, like, I acted it. I was like, oh, no, no, he's in love with the Queen of Horfrost and Woe. Like... And, and it wasn't at first, like there was no emotional connection or anything, but it just, you acted. Um, and then it becomes it. Yep. Um, so yeah, sometimes you just got to prime the pump on this thing. Yep. Yeah. All right. Lastly, use safety tools. <laughs> and I say this in both ways. Um, don't be afraid to use the safety tools that you're, that are, you've set up in your game. Mm-hmm. Um, tools all right. So on one hand, tools are there um, to make sure that everything remains safe. Right. So if you cross a line, the tool, you know, stops play and, and it helps to um, helps to reset safety. Um, and the tools also are there to help you. Um, they're there not to blunt your experiences. They're there to take you to let you go up to an edge. Right. Crossing mm-hmm. the edge is unsafe. But the tools are there to help you get up to the edge. Uh, And that's, again, why I like um, consent-affirming tools, right? So consent-affirming tools allow me to say to the group, uh, I'm good with where we are. In fact, you could even push the scene a little harder, right? Um, The other tools, consent-revoking and boundary, are there so that we don't break safety. But I really like the consent affirming tool, because it is a way for me to say, um, I can say I'm good right here. Yep. 
like don't don't turn up the heat anymore i like this argument right at the intensity it's at or i could be like i can just use the tool and be like i like where we are you could push this a little further um so and a lot of times when i argue with people on the internet right they assume that safety tools are there just to nerf your game um i will say it's the opposite um you know, the tools are there to let you lean over the edge without falling off the cliff. Right. Um, so do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like um, it, it will take some comfort. It will take some experience on your part to know how far you can lean over the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, do it. That's how um, you can have these like incredibly um, powerful moments uh, in games. Um you may cross a limit, right? That's the danger of emotional play. The danger of emotional play is that you may um, have to invoke an X card, right? Um, You may need to deescalate. But um, if you're aware of these things, if you're aware what the tools are for and you're aware of what the risks are for, now we get to my other thing where we talk about like um, risk aware playing, right? Um, If you understand what the risks are and you accept them, then these tools are there to also let you lean in. Yeah. Cool. All right. So many of these things we talked about are going to be skills. And as such, they're things that have to be learned and improved upon as you go. The more you use them, the better you're going to be at uh, with uh, implementing them into your game. Uh, this also makes improving these things part of your process of growing as a player. So as much of our advice, communication is key here. As with the player and the GM, you need to communicate. If as a player, you don't feel engaged with a story or NPCs, Tell the GM. If as a GM, you don't feel the player's invested, talk to them about what would be interesting or form a connection. Ask questions back and forth, but communicate. Don't sit there frustrated with either the player or the GM because it's not getting giving you the connection of, of emotional play that you want um, without at least talking about it and letting people know what's going on. It's very important. Communication, uh, which Queen uh, Senda mentioned earlier, is a key thing. Talk to each other occasionally about what's going on. Um, a lot of the games we play, both online and in person, during or after the game, the GM and the player study, so what did you guys think? How would you like that? Or, wow, that scene was really good. Or, what would you guys think about that? You know, we take a break for a snack and somebody asks a question, gee, that was really good. What would you think about it? And the more we talk about it, the safer it feels and the better chance we have of communicating and get better, uh, get better emotion out of it. So feel free to talk to your GM and players about it. Yeah, absolutely. Always. Yeah, it's good. All right, those are our thoughts on happen though. What was that? I said it sounds simple, but it's amazing the number of times we don't see it happening. Yep. No, it definitely it 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 definitely does. Um it's definitely important. Um and I didn't even mention it in the safety section, so I feel remiss and I'll mention it now. Um a lot of LARPs, which um often deal with heavy emotional play, um also include a debrief. Um a de-roll and debrief section. I don't often use it in role-playing games, um, although it is built into Turning Point. Now that I say that, um, it is built into Turning Point. Um, if you are playing something really emotionally intense, mm-hmm. um, the de-roll is when you uh, separate your character from you at the end mm-hmm. of play. So you kind of come back to just remembering, I'm not my character, I, you know, I'm, I'm just me. I was playing a game kind of thing. And then debrief is kind of a way to process what you were feeling with the rest of the players. Like, you know, Hey, that was a really intense scene. Like I appreciate that you were really, you know, like you really hung it out there. Um, 
you know, and it, like it was really like it totally was getting to me or, oh, that, you know, that, that was like the edge of my comfort. Like, I think, you know, if we play next week, I think I want to just dial it back a little from that. That might have been just like I might have that might have been my limit. Like it's those kinds of things. Um, and that's also important. If you're playing a game with super intense emotions, then I would add uh, in the safety section, I would add a D roll debrief at the end of a game. If you're just um, if you're playing a game that I would just characterize like mid range dramatic, like with some feels, you may or may not need it. You may just be able to do informally what Jerry said, which is just talk about the game at the end um, and just you know what did you like you know ro- roses and thorns um, what is it stars and wishes yeah um, those kinds of things. Okay, um, those are our thoughts on how to establish emotional play in your games. We're gonna take a break, check in with chat room. But first, as always, Bob's going to tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. All right. Tonight's extra episode talk is Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. Jesse and Robert take monthly deep dives into the dark sun setting and discuss it across all editions of D&D. A lot of people are really big fans of dark sun. And yeah. it's uh, <clears throat> they feel like it's lacking love from, uh, from Wizards right now. But I'm sure that... Uh, I'm sure that there's something coming there. There's always something coming in the pipeline. Yeah. You never know. Mm-hmm. But with that many people being fans of it, you know, eventually they have to scratch that itch. So all right. Well, I would hope, I would hope so. Right. Like yeah. just like, it's so good. I, I, I think for me, for that game, it was, um, I think, I mean, a large part of it was Brahms artwork. Mm-hmm. The first time I saw a poster for dark sun, I was like, Whoa, yep. what is this? Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, this does not look like this does not look like, you know, your grandpa Gary's fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like just it's a totally um, different. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, I and I mean I'm a huge fan of Brahm to begin with, but oh man, like to me, the first time I saw it took me away. And then things like how magic worked, um, how, you know, like the idea of I mean, bone, stone, and obsidian are like the types of weapons. Because bone is a like a material you have to use when you're super poor in the game. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which is metal very is, evocative. Metal is very, very rare there. Yeah. So good stuff. Yeah, All right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we uh, uh, Andy made a comment earlier about uh, playing in a game that Senda ran. Senda made a great emotional scene unintentionally by placing blue foxes in the in the group's path. And Andy tamed one, and then Senda described that the small fox went up to the big fox and nuzzled it before coming over to Andy's character. And she started crying because she was very, uh, very touched by that, uh, that, that little bit of exposition was enough to make a connection. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's all it takes, just that little teeny bit, and away you go. I, I, be- I believe she said it was, she wasn't sure about separating a, a family because of this. That yeah, she didn't want to separate the 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 young fox from its uh, from its parent. Great for a good story. Yeah, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you never like you you really don't know. Um, you really don't know which moment is going to get you in an, like in an emotional game. Like Bob, I'm thinking back to um, uh, a game, a turning point you played at Origins one oh, year, yeah. where yeah, like absolutely. it totally caught you off guard. Totally didn't expect it. Went into a scene thinking, oh, this will be great. You know, my character, uh, um, the character is going to have a conversation with their mother. And and it was all about whether or not he was going to move away. Um, mm-hmm. And then 
Mom laid the guilt trip down, and it just punched me right in the gut. And I was like, oh, what just happened? I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> and I, I squirted a tear, man. I was I was, I was, was caught by that one. I, was, I had to have a moment after that scene was over. Senda was, like, impressed that, that uh, you know, she made me squirt one. It's impressive. I mean, you're not usually a guy who plays, like, a ton of emotional play games. Like, Yeah, usually uh, I... Traditionally, I have been one to bury everything deep. <laughs> That's just the way yes. the way I came up. When I'm just I, gonna uh, pack it, pack it yeah, all down, pack right? it down. Um, <laughs> and there have been some games where it really pulled all of that stuff out to the surface. Um, and that's you know that's that's one of the things. Again, a, a really important reason to have your safety tools in place because you do not know what might set something off, what might be a trigger point for you about something that will release a flood of emotions. And if it's too much, you know, you can, you can end up in a, in a, in a state of emotional distress to varying degrees. It may, it may just be like, Oh, I need five minutes or it may be, Oh my gosh, I totally didn't even realize that I was suppressing all of this stuff from my childhood or whatever. Like you could, blow something wide open you don't know and having the ability to say whoa, whoa hang on you know i i just I, I need a minute or you know the open door policy i gotta get up and i gotta I, I like i can't articulate it right now because my emotions are such a jumble you just get up and walk away i, I think you guys yourself. did right? like didn't you guys take a break after that scene we did we took a break and uh and and it was um it, it, i had to talk myself down a little bit because it was very, very uh, surprising. It, it it caught me off guard, and and that's and that's one of the reasons um, Turning Point um, Turning Point has the scene structure, where between scenes, uh, everybody drops out of character. You go into kind of the mechanical parts of the game of setting up another scene and picking a scene and picking who's going to play the character and all that stuff, um, in part um, to de-escalate everybody. Um, and one child's heart does this too, right? One child's heart does this um, when you go back to, like you come out of the um, the child's memory back to the room, it does the exact same thing. It Like it's designed to give you um, that breath, like to take a deep breath. And it's a great place where you, like, it's also in both games, a natural break point that if the GM's like, hey, let's take five and everybody stretch your legs or run to the bathroom, get a water, you know, refill your water or something. Like it's a perfect place to be like, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, you know, and, you know, go and like get a few, you know, take a few steps, drink some water or something. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it, it's really good. Cause it, you know, again, this is like a beat structure thing. If you just play one heavy emotional beat after another, um, either you will overload with emotions or you will go numb to them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So having those breaks, Having that de-escalation, especially when you build when the when the designer builds it into the game, um, will take the game down. Uh, while like it'll take it down, let you kind of collect yourself, and then you can reinvest into the next scene. Yep. Awesome. Good stuff. When Bob cried is when I knew we were done designing Turning Point, and we were ready to start writing <laughs> Turning Point. If I could get Bob to cry in a game. And Senda did it. I didn't even do it. If Senda, yeah. if if we if we can get Bob to shed a tear in a game, our game has enough emotional content. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything All right. else going on in the chat room? I think we're good for now. 
So cool. I see. To... I see. I see. Aaron. Yeah, Aaron's Just, uh, yeah. Welcome back Aaron, to the party. What again. is up? Um, oh yeah, the end of Brett's uh, Streets oh, of Avalon yeah. AP. Unfortunately, I'm I did sure not Andy listen Fox to had... it, but I'm sure it. Uh... Oh, it's 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 is that the one? Uh, which which AP was was that the one on Nights of the Night or a different one? I would think that's the Nights of the Night one. That that one was really good because the after each episode, Brett and the gang talked about his GMing style, and that's where he talked about how to use um, uh, success with complications, failure with complications uh, in the D20 binary system so that he could kind of bring some of the Dungeon World thing in there. And it was really, really interesting. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Cool. So. Yeah, one of these days I'd like to play a game with Brett. Yeah, so. I'm trying to think if I've played a game with Brett. Oh, it, it, I, I played. I played Streets of Avalon that he did. It was, you know, it was one of the probably, if not the best, probably one of the best two hours of D and I've ever played. It was a one shot. In two hours, it, it was a short game. He managed to get emotional investment, stakes for the characters, story, horror, um, adventure, and role playing hooks, and still gave enough that every player could flesh out their character and interact with the neighborhood. To the point that when things went bad, we were we were ride or die on that ending, um, and that was nice. two hours of gameplay. Yeah, it was amazing. That's nice. pretty good when you can pull all that off in two hours. Mm-hmm. Nice job. Considering that we have may have to make a whole bunch of uh, friend cons for the next year or two post pandemic, yeah. let's let's make sure we let's make sure we put Brett on the list. Mm-hmm. All right. Back to the topic of emotional play. We hit our round table and we are going to start with the following question. All right. Question number one, on a scale of one to 10, one being Vulcan and 10 being a telenovela, how much emotional play do you like in your games? And feel free. This can differ for different types of games. Like you don't have to just pick a number. You can pick a couple of like, you know, a couple of scenarios. All right. I'll start. Um, I like at least a six, which may sound odd considering some of the some of the examples I've shared over the last year. Um, I need to care about something in the game. I've played games that are front of the surface, but there's nothing to hook me in. Um, this has happened especially with one shots, con games, and a few play tests, which has been a play uh, a, a problem with some games where emotional investment is supposed to be a driving factor. Um, I like games where I have a chance to care about something. Um, uh, Chris's uh, Eberron game that we ran that we played last year. We had people in the neighborhood we cared about. We would have dumped the city on its end to save some of the people in town. Um, yep. I've played in games where, you know, the, the, you, you care more about the, the Cobalt's Commodore than you do about the, the Prince and Princess because you've got that emotional hook, and I love that. Um, and it's important because I've had some games that have ended. I played a game recently that the whole focus of the game was supposed to be about relationships and romance, and we never encountered an NPC that was a potential romantic interest. Despite the fact that we brought that, that I brought them up several times, we encountered very few people that were even potentially passable, and the ones that did all had really horrible character traits that went against them. Like I had to focus back on the mechanics of the character and try to find something else to focus on in the game, um, which meant that I never felt like we got much out of the game. Um, so as a player, I wanted, and my problem was I didn't talk to the GM about that. That was my fault for not telling the GM, "Hey, listen, we don't seem to be encountering romantic interest, and I don't have a chance to do this." So it was there. As a GM, I'm an eight or nine. I love emotional connection, even if it turns the story on its head. Uh, sometimes because it turns the story on its head. Um, I love when the players decide that they fell in love with the villain's main henchman. We had a whole campaign based around that. Um, if 
two of the players decide that their characters are going to start dating with all the messiness that's going to be involved in. And we're going to short circuit this campaign story for, you know, half an hour while we play out their first date. That's great. I love that. You know, um, if somebody's going to get involved with how much they love and hate their, their mother at the same time, they get involved in that whole process because she's in charge of the guild they belong to. Let's get into that. I'm all for that. Um, I, I love all that kind of stuff. So as a GM, I love to have that, that in the game. Um, I love players that, that, that attach to it um, when they do. So that's what I like. At least a six as a player, and as much as you want to give me as a, as, as a GM. If every game I run turns into a telenovela, I'll deal with that. Um, and, 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 I'll, and I'll love it. I don't care if two mecha pilots want to fall in love with each other's back. Go for it. Isn't that the whole purpose of two mecha pilots is to fall in love? No, no, not with each other, with each other's mechs. See? That oh, okay. Really I mean, what? Yeah, I'm, I'm down with uh, Like, I'm down with that. There you go. I, I, I would do that. You know, two, two mecha pilots, two sentient mechs, and my my pilot's in love with your mech's sentient uh, AI program. Let's do it. There's, oh, there's that, that's, right wonder, there. that's wonderfully messy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I like it. That's wonderfully okay. messy. I would play that all day long. So, <laughs> all right. Bob? Um, you know, uh, for the for the average game, I would say probably bare minimum of five, um, and, and moving off from there. There's going to be a few things where it doesn't need to be even that high, but that's like the like uh, beer and pretzels uh, DCC. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't need to have huge emotional beats in in a DCC game. Let me kill some shit and steal its stuff. That's 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 the whole reason why I'm there for that. Um, but the Anything that's not just we're here to just throw down on the table and kill some time and have fun, um, mm-hmm. then I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be a bare minimum five probably. Um, and then there are other games where it's like, okay, this game we're we're gonna we're gonna lean into it and mm-hmm. we're gonna go for like the eights and the nines and, and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably where I'd fall. Before we move off fall? that, something something I think we haven't mentioned earlier is that it's okay for players to have emotional investment with other characters. Because I think in like DCC, um, Sir Percy might not have an emotional investment with anything else in the game, but I think he cares deeply about the other the other characters in the party. I've seen him react to them and so on. So I think that's okay. I if I'd use too. the word deeply, but... <laughs> well, I've seen him jump. I've seen him jump in to risk his life to save I mean, to save that, that's, uh, Rotful that's, and the rest of them. That's just me role-playing the character. I Personally, okay. I didn't... I wasn't like super deeply invested. Um, okay. It was just, this is what Percy would do. It, you know, that, that's, that was the, the logical Vulcan, you know, the logical Vulcan okay. thing. Needs yeah. of the many. Needs, Needs of the, the many. many. Yeah. Needs of the many. What about you, Phil? <laughs> okay. You know, I, I think my numbers have taken a shift over the past year. Um, mm-hmm. at, at a lot of cons, I tend to play more emotional games. So I would have like a, a year, like in 2019, I think I would have pegged these numbers higher. Um, but I would say right now, like right now on average, I think my games are pulling about a five in terms of emotion, like nothing too dramatic, um, which I don't know if I love or don't. It just is right now. Like, I, I don't think there's a huge, like, I think there's a lot of investment in my Forbidden Lands game, but my Forbidden Lands game is not a game of emotional play. Yes. Like, it is not like high emotions and whatever. If a character died in that game, would people be sad? Absolutely. Like that game has now gotten on enough sessions that anyone in that game would be missed if they died um, in the game. But it's, I'm playing like, I'm playing that game for different reasons. Like I'm playing that game because um, 
one, I like it. Two, it's super interesting to just nudge a game along incrementally like this in a way that I've never played a game before. Like this game moves at a speed that is way slower than other stuff I run. And nobody seems to be bothered with that in the game. Like it takes it. Sometimes it takes us like five or six sessions to complete like a, a trip somewhere. And when I mean trip, I mean like go somewhere, do the thing and come back. And it's fine. Like everybody's like, yep, we're just, we're, you know, we just played tonight's installment. Like we're not playing to like, all right, we got to complete this story arc tonight. Like, like it just, we just nudge it forward. So, um, so on average, I would say I'm playing about a five right now. Um, I like emotions in games. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I think, um, like I really loved our tales from the loop game. That game I thought was more, um, Tales from the Loop was a little more emotional and then Things from the Flood was super emotional but then got super dark. Yeah. And like and then we were like, hmm, maybe this isn't the right time to play it because it was super emotional and no one wanted to blunt the game. Yeah. Like we were like, well, if we're going to play it, we're playing it emotionally and dark and we were like none of us want to be super dark right now. Yeah. Which they- was again, I think like 2018-2019 very fair time to not yeah. want to be super dark that game deserves right. to be played to the depths that it can go we just were not in a place to do it yeah when we're ready i would like to bring that game back because oh, yeah. i think it would be a lot of fun we were we were definitely not ready uh, i i shouldn't say that we were ready i don't think we anticipated how dark that game would go for us um and we had a lot of emotional investment because we carried our tales yeah. characters over so we had like we started that game with a ton of emotional investment, and then the opening mystery is about finding a dead schoolmate in the yard. And man, did we put ourselves through the ringers making emotional connections to the to the to the dead kid before <laughs> before yeah. they found the body? Like it was, oh, it was gut wrenching. Yeah, um, yeah. So um, I do actually like more emotional games. So I actually. Um, would like to play more emotion games. It's, I think the reason I like um, uh, deep space nine so much uh, deep space nine is a very emotional star Trek. Um, I dig that as well. I, I'm like Bob for beer and pretzel games. I do not need any emotional investment. A two or three is perfectly fine for DCC. I, I, I mean, I like characters and I like the story and I like going through it, but I do not have to. Um, I do not have to have any large emotional feelings about that game. That game is really about uh, how bonkers is this adventure and what cool shit will you guys do in the face of this bonkerness? That to me is all of DCC. Like, I just like all, like, that's what I like out of DCC. Um, and then if a game is, what's that, Jer? See, now where Lady Vanessa and Mock Just Mock both had, both have very strong connections to the party in, in various ways um, that, that I think, uh, I, I mean, I'm in, both I'm invested in not just those characters, but I'm invested in their relationships with some of the other characters in the group. And while we haven't had any, any NPCs that have repeated themselves from game to, from story to story, I still think that that game worked. We have, this way, you gave us some things to hook on and the players have all run with it. And I like that. Yeah. I mean, I think lot. we have some solid players, like people know how to grab mm-hmm. stuff and run with it. So, yeah. you know, we toss stuff out. I mean, I personally, you know, you know, Lady Bemisa was my comic relief for that game. Like hmm. her ditziness always, her ditziness ended me, especially what was it? The final, uh, the final, what was the line from the final, um, 
game, the one with the Tarrasque thing. Um, spell is failing. Chris is yelling something. He's yeah. yelling, spell is failing. Spell is, spell is failing. Spell is failing. <laughs> I, I is. As, I is. Yes. Uh, and then she like turns around and hits something for like a 30. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, if a game is meant to be emotional uh, mm-hmm. and I feel safe to do it, uh, like mm-hmm. I'll take the thing up to like an eight um, uh, games like um, uh, red carnations on a black grave. Right. Like that's just a, like <laughs> that. It's just a gut wrenching game. Um, uh, also, you know, and it doesn't, and not all emotional play has to be sad. Um, I've played passions to passiones and like, let me tell you, if, you know, if we're playing that game, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to be yelling, I'm going to be fired up. Right. Like that's, um, you know, that's a game of emotion. Right. So I'm there as I'm there for that as well. Uh, Cartel is another game that I would play with the emotions turned up. And we did when we played it, right. We played cartel, uh, higher up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's me. Um, at some point, I'd like to return to playing some more more emotional games, but also I think I have to be in a more emotionally stable yeah. place to play more emotional games. So Absolutely. one of those is going to have to come before the other. Yep. All right. Bobo. Question two. As a GM, using the skills and slash activities that we defined above, what is your strongest and your weakest skill? Uh, I think my strongest is probably um, investment. Um, if I sense that a... Uh, if I sense a character likes a thing, I will definitely make scenes to to make that happen. Um, as soon as I knew in Tales from the Loop that Leah was going to take off, um, I got Leah into a ton of scenes. I got a whole thing where Leah had a crush on Bob's character. Um, like I got Leah all over the place um, in that. So building in like building investments when a character shows an interest, uh, I'm right there to help build up that that NPC that experience, whatever. Um, my weakest is probably tossing out elements. I don't always remember to keep throwing things out there as I'm telling the story. Like I'm, it's, it's probably, you know, as, as you're doing the eight different things of being a GM, um, I will forget, um, to toss more things out. I will also, if players seem reasonably invested in a couple things, I will also stop tossing things out and I'll just go run with the ones I have. So I don't always do a great job of keeping, more things out there, which means that I need players um, in emotional games that are proactive yeah. who will run out and get stuff or make stuff happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jer? All right. Uh, I think I'm strongest is running with things that people show me they're invested in. Um, if the players latch on to an NPC, that NPC is going to be showing up a lot. Um, they can even bring it with them if they want. Um, uh, I, I think that if uh, we see things that people like, even if it's not something an NPC in my Eberron game, one of the characters is obsessed with um, whether or not elementals have rights as they're bound into so many things. And so she's constantly getting involved with the various elementals. She's trying to, every time they find anything, that has got the possibility of having a sentient elemental. She wants to talk to it. And so I've had to kind of shoehorn in some ways that she can do that. Not in a bad way. She'll just figure out ways to make it easier. So it's not out of the question. Um, so every adventure they're on, there's going to be at least one elemental she can talk to, um, and chaos will often ensue. Um, but it gives her something to work with. But she's back in the city of Star and sees she goes up to the university and reads up on elementals and talks to elementalists and just recently encountered a I don't know what they call them in D and D 
Genesi. It's the old Jan, the, the half elemental. Genesi? The half elementals. Genesi. Shuisi Carter Genesi. It is now realizing what that means in a world of Eberron if your character is half elemental. And it's fascinating. But give those things out there, play with them. Um, now, if, if that's all based on the fact that I have a really good player. Um, I could toss out whatever I want. The players grab down to it, it, but let me know early on this is what I'm interested in. This is what I want to explore more with my character. Um, and so I, I think that that's something I can run with. Weak, though, is the opposite of that. I don't often include enough things to be interested in, um, especially romantic interest for those looking for romantic drama. Um, somebody says, I want my character to have a, a wild whirlwind romance. Now I've got to come up with a character based on their character that's going to be interesting to them. Um, and uh, once they do get in something that they're happy with, I don't often threaten their status quo enough. My big thing is somebody finally finds something they're happy with, and I feel guilty threatening it all the time, or even a little bit. Like, I want, in a world where everything else is going to hell, they have one thing they can hold on to. I feel guilty sometimes threatening that. Um, and part of that's because I had a big problem uh, in the past. I had a, a gamer who got very invested in all of her character relationships in every game. Um, and the fact that I was in a relationship with her at the time meant that every time one of the relationships in the game went sour, it was all sorts of trouble for me outside the game and vice versa. <laughs> and so um, it's something I'm very careful of and I probably don't do it well enough. Um, I'm also not great at romantic drama in general in real life. So uh, um, it, it's, it's, it's something I need to get better at because some players want to do it and some don't. And yeah, I can't force that on people either. Um, in the after trial, I'll tell a story about what happens when I created a romantic interest for somebody who had zero interest in it, and I didn't realize it at the time. I, so that, I will. That's after um, when we get to the when we get to the end of the segment, I will tell you a great little tool that we uh, developed for um, that we developed for Ditch Lilies to help with that. I heard that. I can't wait to try that in another game. So, all right, Bob. Yeah, it's been so long since I've actually run a game um, that I had trouble figuring this out. But I would say probably the, the thing that I'm weakest at is um, observing the players, reading the table. Because um, I'm not a super good multitasker. So if I'm doing this over here, I'm not looking at what's going on over here. So that's, that's difficult for me. Um, and probably the thing that I'm strongest at would probably be... Um, running with the stuff once i know what it is um then i can lean into it and i probably uh uh, uh won't have too much trouble with that so, so that's nice. really good when you return to gming one of the one of the things that you absolutely should tell us or remind us of um is to um is just to tell you stuff like yeah. this way you don't have to worry about um this way you don't have to worry about it, right? You don't have to worry about reading the table. And exactly. uh, I think Senda and I did an episode about um, the pitfalls of reading people, like in reading the table, like it's a good tool to have. It's not an absolute, yeah. right? It doesn't, it doesn't always yield the correct information, the false positives and the false negatives that happen um, sometimes outweigh its usefulness and just knowing to ask from time to time and telling players that, Oh, you should totally tell me because once I'm wrapped up in like running these monsters, I'm not really going to, um, what you call it. I'm not really going to be able to pay attention to, you know, like I'm not going to be reading everything that's going on. Yeah. And honestly, yeah. the day that I sit down to, to actually GM a game, I'm, I'm almost guaranteed to be blessed because the people that I'm going to be having at the table with me are going to be, good role players, good table people that are going to, they're, they're going to feed me. They're going to, you know, they're going to be there for all of that stuff. So it's, it's going to yeah. be 
like a wealth of 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 good players at, at whatever table I GM. It's like we've spent years talking about yeah. this stuff over and over, right? Over, like, and over and over. Exactly. Although eating your dog food is harder than you think sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question. All right. Question three. As a player, from the list we described above, what are your strong and weak skills for emotional play as a player? Bob? Um, so I would say um, I am probably – got to go back up and look at the list again. Um, uh, yeah, uh, my strongest thing, and this wasn't always the case, but I, I've gotten to it, is taking the worm. Like when the, when the, when the, 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 the thing is offered up, I'm going to take it and I'm going to run away. The conceit of the game is X. You're going to do, you're going to do X. You're going to jump there. You're going to do the thing. Um, I had a couple of problems early on with that. Um, but I've, I've, I've grown into that. And probably my weakest thing would be being vulnerable because I, um, for, like I said, for years, everything was, you bottle that shit up. That's what a man does. Toxic masculinity at its finest. I mean, I, I, I was running the playbook for a while there with a lot of that emotional stuff. Like, you know, you bury that deep. You don't need to bring that out. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. So being vulnerable at a table um, isn't always the easiest thing. Um, I'm way better at it now than I ever was. So I w- it's almost not even a weakness anymore. But it, that's, that, that is definitely not something that I, was, uh, that I was super up with. What about you, Phil? Yeah, for me, I would say my stronger skills are um, connecting to personal emotions. So I, I use that tool uh, quite a bit when I'm, you know, if I'm in the middle of a game and I'm really like I need to get like get some emotion quick, you know, the where to dig, where to dig in the minefield of my childhood um, yep. will, you know, help greatly. Um, but also acting. Um, so sometimes I just, you know, if I got to, you know, if I need to get hot. Like I need to get a character angry and I'm not really, I'm a pretty chill guy. I don't get angry a lot. Like I, then I just got to act that up. Right. I just got to like get in there and, you know, and act. So, and I can do it right. Like it doesn't bother me. Like if I, you know, if you need, if the character needs to be angry, I'll get angry. Um, even though I myself, you know, I'm pretty chill and I don't get like angry um, as much uh, on the weak side. Um, I'm really bad at, um, I'm really bad at, um, investing in a lot of things um i will wind up like investing in one or two things and then i just invest deep um i don't really like i i don't do a good job personally of like you know i like this and i'm investing in this i'm invested i'm like invested in this right like like you know core you know was invested in the queen of Horfrost and woe and like that was the like that was his north star for the rest of the campaign like there wasn't 10 other things he was interested in. He had like one blinding goal. Um, and so I'm not great at, um, I'm not great at spreading those out. Um, I'm good at building one. Um, so I sometimes need help with that um, to kind of, you know, uh, spread those out or have situations where I can't, um, the story's not about that thing so that I have to like kind of connect to some other stuff. Um, and the other one that I'm not good at is safety tools. Um, I will, um, I will tend to back off. Um, it, it's very rare that I will like try to find the absolute edge. Um, I will, I will play intensely, but um, I'm very rarely comfortable enough to be like, I'm going to try to t- take this thing right up to the limit tonight. Um, 
And part of that has to be um, part of it has to be because I've had a safety tool failure um, where I should have just used the safety tool and I didn't. Um, and so I think at times I'm a little scared to, you know, like, will I remember to use the safety tool if I get that close again mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. So I tend to just like, I tend not to, um, I tend not to take it all the way to that edge. I'm, I'm happy the places where I take my games and stuff. Um, but yeah, like I, um, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't usually play games to be like, let's see how close I can get, you know, like how, like how hard can I skirt the edge of this? I really am just like, let's play something that really gets me fired up. Mm-hmm. So that would definitely be my strong in the week. Jim? Uh, for me, I think my strongest is attention to people and places. Um, I try to find something in the game that uh, I can attach myself to that I like. Um, the, the, the woman who lives next door who washes shirts or um, somebody's pet or my horse or something um, or the other player characters. Um, you know, to the point where it's like the kingdom may fall, but I'm going to go to hell and back for my pet dragonette or for the orphan who brings me messages or what have you. Um, however, my weakness is sometimes getting that back, especially if the game has burned me. I have trouble getting back in the character and finding more emotional connections. Um, and that gets to be tough. Um, and uh, I'm also not great as a player with taking the hook sometimes when the hook is just uh, it hasn't been stated initially that's the point of the game, and when it suddenly feels like the hook is dragging us into a, a situation that, that's not comfortable. Um, you know, where it feels like we're going in one direction, and suddenly the hook is there, and it's obvious it's an NPC and a relationship we're supposed to care about, and for some reason it doesn't feel like it's something that's been built up enough. Um, and I don't often take that hook when I really should, and that's a communication thing again. So um, hasn't happened recently. But uh, I've played a lot of games in the past where by the time that hook is dangled in front of us, we've already done something. Um, I played in the game where by the time the hook was dangled, we had already decided that we thought the bad guy had a better, had a better plan than the good guy. And we were about ready to switch sides. Hmm. And it was a case of either over, or it, was, it was either join the bad guy or overthrow the good guy that we work with and become the new good, become now in charge of this because, you know, it's that, it's that scene in, a lot of movies where they've got to have the villain do something horrible because the villain is starting to make sense. <laughs> uh, it was obvious that we weren't supposed to go that way, but uh, trying to find that hook is tough sometimes. So um, I didn't take any of that uh, attachment. And as a result, the game kind of floundered for me. And that's on me for not taking that hook and not telling the GM, hey, listen, this is where we need to go with this. or this is where I'd like to see it go with this. Uh, so we'll talk about more stuff like that in the after show. But uh Whatever you can, just jump into it and have a good time with it. Make something up uh, uh, that, that you can attach yourself to. So, all right, that's it for me. Cool. That is our episode on emotional play. We hope that the next time emotional play comes up in your game, some of these tips will be helpful. All right. Uh, Jerry, we're going to check in one more time in the chat room before we... <laughs> I, was, I was checking with the chat room. So we're going to check in with the chat room before we head off to the conversation corner. If I have a question for the chat room, what is Matsagor twelve forty four? I have no idea what that is. Uh, uh, I think it's autocorrect gone wrong, um, but yeah. But yeah. Uh, yes, <laughs> there's always three parts. To, there's always three parts to the ending: the acknowledgement of the ending, the we hope yes. part, and the conversation corner part. <laughs> I was starting to ask a question when that happened, so go ahead, conversation corner. <laughs> 
Well, is there any, oh, I'll just really quick because I mentioned it and I don't want I don't want people who've been listening to the episode be like, damn it, Phil, you said the thing and then didn't follow up on it, which yeah. I do all the time. Um, here's the little tool um, that we came up with in um, that Senda and I came up with in the design for Ditch Lilies about romantic play. Um, and that is we call it the spark. So what you do is when an N, when you have an NPC that may want that you think want the character may want to be romantic with or you want to be romantic with the character you ask the character is there a spark between you and this character and if the player mm-hmm. says yes then that is an invitation to like begin flirting and to um like to spark a romance between those characters if the player says mm-hmm. no um then that's it this character strictly platonic and you never try to be romantic again. Like you just like, okay, cool. You know, this, this isn't a potential romantic um, interest in the game. And then you just move on. And a player can also just initiate it themselves. Like the GM doesn't have to ask for it. A player can be like, Oh, the barista, I'm feeling a spark. Mm-hmm. Right. And be like, Oh, okay, good. Thanks for the, you know, like, mm-hmm. thanks for the heads up. Right. I'll take that in, you know, like I'll take that into consideration. So that's a little tool because um, Digital Lilies has a whole bunch of kissing um, in that game. It's a thing that, um, you know, it, to have a tool that allows a player to um, not get put into some weird, awkward, like kind of gross getting hit on kind of thing. We use the spark. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Any yes. other questions? Yeah. So to answer Jerry's question, it's Montsegur, uh, the pronunciation, I'm not sure, but it's M-O-N-T-S-E-G-U-R, all one word. Um, there was a thing uh, called the Siege of Montsegur. It was a nine-month siege um, in uh, 1244 by French royal forces. Um, so it was, a, it was a, a siege kind of a thing. And apparently um, there's a game where the players uh, are part of that. And uh, there's emotional uh, shenanigans. Hilarity ensues. I don't I think it's imagine. shenanigans. <laughs> I think emotional bleed is probably the best word for it. Yeah, probably. Probably. Um, and Jerry asked uh, if in fourth edition, if uh, flirting was a, 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 a full round or a free action. <laughs> I don't honestly remember. Oh, I think Andy Fox, Andy Fox clarified that, though, right? Yes, she did. Very well. She, she came up with an answer that was really good. I don't know if that's the fourth edition rules, but that's the way I would do it. So. I'm pretty sure fourth edition doesn't have rules, but I like that ruling. <laughs> I mean, speaking. And that's not a slam on fourth edition, by the way. Yeah, speaking is is I'm sure a free action because you know you're allowed to talk during a combat, but um, Andy's uh, uh, scenario is very valid for uh, for a full on uh, full court press kind of flirting. I would make it a full round action. That's that makes sense. I agree. I agree, right? Like a, a simple flirt is definitely a free. If you just like winking and blowing a kiss, that's free. Yeah, that's definitely free. Yeah. Oh, the real fun. question is: does it does it does it provoke an act and uh, the provoke an act of opportunity? That's the real question. <laughs> if you do it grossly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you're really I mean, smarmy about it, yes, it provokes an attack of opportunity. I mean, it depends mm-hmm. on the scenario. I mean, you know, when uh, when when Doc Holliday winks at uh, at one of the Clanton gang. Yeah. At uh, Thomas Hayden Church, and Thomas Hayden yeah. Church is like, oh, and he's ready to go. I mean, that, that I think that invoked an attack of opportunity. <laughs> oh, I can watch. I can watch that movie again. 
in fact, the picture of it is hanging on my wall. Yes. So people can't see because I have the background up. And even if I don't, I have the industrial wall of the yeah. thing behind me. But on the opposite wall, I have a bunch of um, uh, pictures and portraits and stuff. And one of them um, is um, the four characters from Tombstone heading to the OK Corral for the yeah. gunfight. Good times. Good times. Yeah. Good times. All right. Well, I think we're good there. So let's jump into the conversation corner because. All right. So, uh, you know, broken record over here. Bob's been playing a lot of Valheim. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> it's been, it's been giving me spoons. It's been filling spell slots. You know, it's, it's whatever metaphor you want to use. Um, so that's, that's been happening and I've been enjoying it. Um, continuing to watch. It just got ramped up pretty high too. Yeah. Uh, continuing to watch my shows, watching my stories, my Falcon and the Winter Soldier, watching Voyager on the watch party and in between. Um, because again, I'm watching all of Voyager, not just the shows that the episodes that fill notes as part of the extras beyond the watch party. I'm watching the whole thing. So there's been times where I have to watch a few extra ones to keep up so that I'm not watching a lot of order um mm-hmm. i've got some some questions to the writers about a couple of things that they chose to not do um i got some feels about tonight's watch party watch party episodes the two-parter um, yes tonight's is an interesting yeah. one and one of the episodes that uh, i don't remember if it made the list or not but the um there's an episode called macrocosm oh so macrocosm is listed in the bonus episodes, uh-huh. as if you are a big Janeway fan, yeah, you should watch Macrocosm. Yes, um, no spoilers, but Janeway um, gets to do her cosplay of another famous character, and that's all I'm yes. going to say. <laughs> yes, it is the most it it is one of the most badass Janeway episodes in the series. Yeah. So if you are a Janeway fan and like Janeway being a badass, Macrocosm like is the episode you should just yeah. grab it from the bonus list macrocosm and put it is into also your a little bit squeaky. <laughs> is that this week's it's in the bonus it's in the bonus list yeah, for this week if you go read the um if you go read the post i have it noted in there that um I there are two big janeway episodes but macrocosm is the better of the two this week yeah. okay cool um also working my way through i didn't realize that um the the season the middle seasons for Shira were super short like season two was like six episodes season three is like seven episodes um, so I'm already in season three, um, and uh, it's an interesting story they're telling. I'm I'm very eager to see where uh, where they're going to go with a couple of things that they're doing. Um, um, so working my way through that, and uh, uh, and I did my taxes last night. Um, came down to the oh, where I did, on the twelfth. <laughs> I realized, oh wait, the fifteenth is this week. Um, well. <laughs> I better do my damn taxes. Um, and that was a, a chore because I had neglected completely during the course of last year to keep track of any of the stuff that I normally would keep track of to, to do like expenses and income and all that stuff like that. The income part was easy. I just had to dump out a PayPal list. But all the stuff that I would normally keep track of for what was an expense to put on the list, like I didn't do any of that. So I had to go through and I had to work my oh. way through a list of stuff and like, ah. You'll only do that once, and yeah. then you'll never do it again. Yeah, like, I will be prepared going forward from from here on out. That's that that is the reason I spend two hundred dollars a year on um, QuickBooks for yeah. Encoded because this year I was like, 
Okay, run the profit loss sheet. Yeah. Boom. Yep. Done. Okay, we're good. Like I used to do that by hand and like with an Excel spreadsheet and check it against all the paper each like like at yep. the end like at the end of the of the year. Oh, it was fucking miserable. I am um it's time intensive, man. Like that $200 for QuickBooks is like well worth the the agony, the yep. like 10 minutes it takes each week to just keep up the ledger um, is well worth the just run report. Um, And I think it even, if I was, if I was even more bold, I could just have um, uh, TurboTax actually suck it right out of QuickBooks. Probably. Yeah. I haven't done that yet. Um, We we use QuickBooks in my company and we use it for corporate, for corporate taxes. And that's one of the first things we do is we look at the profit loss sheet and balance it. And uh, lots of times when I need stuff that um, for various tax purposes or insurance purposes or, or, or expense purposes. I just asked the yeah. person in my office who handles that because I can do some things on QuickBooks, but I'm smart enough not to mess with the yeah. important stuff and let somebody else who's yes. better at it than me. Yep. So, but I'll say, you know, I, you know, can I get the profit loss sheet for, you know, for April and all of a sudden it's on my desk. Um, it, it It's super great. It's super great. I, I resisted it for many years because I wanted to make sure the company was big enough to be able to pay for it because mm-hmm. um, we're, you know, super tiny operation. Yeah. Um, but now that they can, like, man, does it save me a whole shitload yep. of time um, each month and at, at tax time. Like, it, you, like that used to be a huge pain in the ass. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that's enough about me. Uh, Jerry, what about you? Well, Valheim first. Um, we recently moved... We're, Valheim is based on exploring, and every time you uh, basically encounter a new biome, there's going to be a new mega boss that you have to defeat before you get the next level of gear and stuff that comes out of it. And you can encounter biomes that are higher level than what you should be going into, but as you go, each boss unlocks certain abilities and so on. Um, and you don't just like, hey, we found this new biome, let's go fight the boss. It's, we found this new biome, now let's spend the next like week gearing ourselves up and figuring out what's going on this but before you go in there and dying a lot um and we encountered we decided we're going to go after the next boss and that involved us um sailing across an ocean um chris and i sat in a boat playing playing sailing for literally like 25 minutes just trying to cross this ocean without dying and we finally found where the boss is and he's on an island where the entire like six mile across island is all just horribly dangerous biomes except for like a 500 foot stretch of beach that we were able to land on. And since we've built our base there, it's gotten much more exciting because we have a small strip of safety and you step off of that and it's, and it's like terror survival time, which is a lot of fun. Um, and because we're playing this with three players, um, Bob is our amazing builder. Like I'll put down the framework of a building and then Bob comes by and makes it amazing. He'll gear it up, make it tougher, whatever. Um, Chris is our our death on two legs character. Like if it's out there, Chris can kill it. Give him enough time, he will figure out a way to defeat it. He's patient, he's accurate. Um, and I'm the explorer and the resource gatherer. So I'll just gather a bunch of stuff and wander around finding stuff and leaving little markers on the map of where, like, hey, here's where all these renewable resources are, like berries and mushrooms and that. So when the players get low, they can run out and do stuff. And I carry a lot of stuff. When we made this trip across the ocean, Chris was in charge of piloting the boat I was carrying all the gear to make a portal so we didn't have to do it again. So we've been doing a lot of teamwork stuff. But then we encounter terrifying things that just, um, you know, like I do what we call 
involuntary exploration, which means something shows up and now I'm running as fast as I can in a random direction, slowly exploring the map until I can outrun it. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Falcon of the Winter Soldier continues to just amaze me. Um, having, without giving any spoilers, having read this story arc in the comics and seeing how they've adapted it to TV and made it better. Um, I am not a purist when it comes to media. Um, I can watch, I can love a book or story and then see them put it on screen and have them change something drastic. As long as they make it better, I'm thrilled. Um, and they've done this with Falcon and Winter Soldier across the board. Um, I'm kind of disappointed that we only have two episodes left. Um, Voyager has been great. Um, as I said, I skipped it the first time it came through. I saw a couple of half episodes and never really liked the characters because I didn't understand the complexity. There is some complex stuff going on with these characters, and I like to see how it evolves. There's a few that I think they're still finding their footing on, and I can't wait to see because I can kind of see where they're going with some of it. Um, characters that I found really annoying in, in season one are now just amazingly interesting characters in, in the rest of the season. Um, and I like Janeway. I, I don't see a problem with her. There's a few times that I disagree with some of her choices as a captain, but I felt the same way about every other captain, including Picard and Cisco and Kirk. Um, so I don't think she's better or worse than any of them. I think that in the situation she's in, she's doing some interesting stuff. Um, uh, looking at some old school games, kind of got in nostalgic and pulled out a bunch of older games, and I'm kind of flipping through stuff. I like to look at the, I don't want to call it the origin of modern game theory, but it's interesting to see games that's like, oh, this is like the first time a mainstream game tried this thing. Sure. And to see how they fumbled through it. Um, I had a couple episodes. I'm slowly working my way through Avatar The Last Airbender. I like the show. Um, about two or three episodes in a row when I'm done for the night. I want to do something more more meaty. But I'm enjoying it. Um, and we played uh, another section of Kids on Brooms. Um, great GM. Really good group of characters. Not sure I like the mechanics all that I much. don't like the mechanics. Yeah, not a fan. Yeah. I, I, I don't. It, it's it's a it's a game where lots of times it's like okay I want to do this thing, okay well you're gonna roll a d4 the difficulty's nine, I'm like so great I got to explode the dice twice why am I bothering to do this I don't have anywhere near enough things, and so it's a game where um, the game is fun until you engage the mechanics of the game and then the game's not fun anymore, and um, tells me well, that playing is fun the game may not be fun. <laughs> No, it means the GM is fun. The game oh, no. Is not. I know your GM. Your GM's yeah. great. Yes, he is. Yeah. Glenn. Those are the, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn can make can make her cheesy into a role-play game that's enjoyable. But, yeah, uh, but yeah the, the game mechanics are are really not great for me. For me. Now, understand. I, 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 I'm with my you. my play style. Yeah. I'm with you. The, the, the um, kids series, because I played um, the other one. What's the bikes. first one? Kids on Bikes. I wasn't I wasn't super thrilled with the kids on bikes mechanic. Like it just there's something about that mechanic that just doesn't like it just doesn't do it for me. Um and it is the math part of the game. It is exactly what you're saying. It's like the die roll, the difficulty. I haven't played it in a little while, but I do remember when we played it, I was like, mm. and there are things I love about that game, like the special characters controlled by the party. I think that's brilliant. Um but the 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 numbers in that game, like they bug me in some way. I begin to look at this. There are games that I that I look at, and I'm like, if whenever the dice come out, the game stops being fun, there's a problem with that game. And that's, and I mean, you guys have heard me talk about games that I like and don't like, and I begin to realize what I like and dislike, and it's because of the play style that I enjoy. It doesn't mean the game itself is bad. As it's we that, always say here. 
Yeah. Yep. Is that the game? Well, there are some games I will tell you flat out the game is bad. But anyway, this game, the game itself is not bad. The mechanics are not the way I enjoy playing a role playing game. And it, and to me, it feels like they were trying to go for a particular style of game like Dungeon World or Fate and didn't know how to divorce a binary, non-binary system from that. And um, so I, I just it's, it's interesting. And I've read reviews and I have a copy of Kids in, Kids in Space. And there's a bunch of stuff about that game I like, except for the mechanics. I love the how you design a spaceship and all that kind of stuff. So um, but luckily, like I said, luckily we have a really good GM. So it's still going to be fun. It's just not a game system I would ever pick up or play again, I think. And I wouldn't, it just, it's not getting me. But it's fun to look at that way because it, it tells me something about um, what I look for in games. And it's part of why I'm looking at older school games and seeing what, what, why did I like this game so much in the past? And most of the time it was, oh, good GM. But sometimes it was like, oh, I never saw this mechanic before. And it was cool to engage in it until we found the problems with it. So, all right, Phil? Uh, yeah. Um, I played some um, Magic Gathering Arena. Um, still, I'm still digging that. Um, I like the, uh, I, I like overall, um, I like the digital implementation, I think more than I like the card implementation. Um, and I like that it, it plays on both my, um, Mac and my mobile device. Um, so I can interchange between the two. So if I don't want to get off the couch, I can just pick up my iPad and play. And if I'm at my desk and I want to play, uh, I can just open it up and, and play. Um, I also like that it handles all the um, procedural stuff for playing mm-hmm. magic. So I don't really have to remember all that. Like it makes that part super easy. Like it handles all the, like when you tap on tap, when, you know, when you can play this, um, do you have enough mana for this? Like all of that stuff. Um, and, you know, it, it helps you keep track of all the abilities. So it, it's pretty cool. And the graphics are actually pretty sweet on it. Um, so, you know, I've been, I've been playing some of that. And then as you play, you get like, um, in-game points and stuff, and then you can um, you, you get like free packs of cards and stuff. And I th- I'm almost to the point where I think I could start building some decks and stuff. So that's kind of interesting. I may mess around um, with a little of that uh, as well. I played a little Minecraft. Um, I just I don't know. I I just didn't play a lot of it. Um, the 116 pack is pretty solid. It needs some updates when Schmitty makes them. I'll reapply it to the world and just keep playing. Uh, to see if it fixes a few things. Um, but uh, the new Nether's terrifying. Hmm. Um, I like it a whole lot less than I like the original Nether, but I really do like the fact that we have jetpacks uh, and you can get jetpacks pretty early in the game. Nice. Like there are no, there are no flight rings, but uh, I have been doing just fine um, using it to haul ass through the Nether and keep myself from getting killed. Um, so I did a bunch of I, I I didn't do a bunch of that. I just played like once or twice. I finished Enterprise, like I said. I had a rant about that. Uh, I'm watching Voyager again, so this is fun for me. This is the second time getting to watch through. Um, I, my fondness is definitely growing. Um, and watching it in parallel with Enterprise, I also realize um, that I like Voyager more than I liked Enterprise. Um, Falcon and Winter Soldier is amazing. Um, without any spoilers, there is a line um, in last week's episode that was so good. The blank has jurisdiction wherever the blank chooses to be, I think is to paraphrase that. Uh, yes. That yes. phrase. Fantastic. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I mean, you just could see in the last episode, the train wreck that was about to happen in the, in the episode. <laughs> um, like you could just see where it was all going downhill and then it did. 
There's there, um, there, there, there's a famous meme of somebody showing a single scene from that episode, and somebody says, "And this is where all the Marvel Comics fans knew he done fucked up." Yes, yes, exactly. I know. It's I don't want to spoil any of it. It's nope, so that's, that's good. All you have to say, right? Yeah. There's a moment where you're like, "Oh, bad idea, buddy. Mm-hmm. Bad idea." Yeah. Um, and then I just I laid a lot on the couch. Right. I'm I'm not feeling very good. I'm pretty depressed. So, um, you know, I just like zone out. Um, watch TikTok uh, on the couch. I don't really do anything uh, very productive. So there's that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm uh, I'm actually going to go see my therapist in person for the first time in over a year. Um, I'm vaccinated. And so my therapist was like, you could have a face-to-face session. And I realized that this is probably the first person that I'm not related to um, that I've seen face-to-face in months. Uh, I'm also pretty sure it's not proper to hug your therapist, but I feel like, you know, the first human I've seen um, in like nine months, like maybe like, but no, probably not. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think anyway, she'd be opposed. But yeah, anyway, yeah. that'll be interesting because like I haven't, um, I've, I've just been doing telehealth, um, yeah. which, which was okay, but it's telehealth in a house with thin walls and kids. So it's not like you can really lay, you know, it's not like you can really lay out a whole session. Yeah. Um as opposed to just being able to go there yeah, um, and have a session. So I'm kind of excited about the prospect of, uh, um, of doing that. I am going to have to get like a extra long straw because I typically bring like a nice coffee or something um, while I'm talking. I'm going to have to like wedge it under my mask now to like take a little sip, put it, you know, put my mask back down. Okay. So anyway, that'll be interesting. Um yeah, Avi's asking, um, are we finally getting the end of the pandemic in sight? I don't know if we're getting the end of the pandemic in sight, um, but vaccines are out and about. Um, the people in my circles are getting vaccinated. My state is doing a good job of vaccinating. So I wouldn't go everywhere in the U.S., but I'm certainly starting to breathe a little easier about New York. Yep. Um, Western New York's doing a good job of getting vaccinated. Um a little too good in some ways because now they're telling us like they want us to uh, go back to campus. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know if I'm go want to go back to an office. Like I got feels about going back to an office. I'd be just fine. Like I would just be fine going in a day or two and staying home the rest of the week. Like one, one of my, one of my vendors is having a in-person seminar in July and is requiring mandatory all of the instructors and all of the attendees must show proof of vaccination. They're renting an entire uh, hall and all the tables will be at least eight foot apart. Um, you're only allowed to sit with somebody who is from your company who has also been vaccinated. I'm like, that I will go to. That that, that I will feel safe. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, what's called the county said today that they would let the, um, they would let the uh, Bill Stadium and the arena go back to full capacity if everybody there is vaccinated. Mm-hmm. If you have to show yep. proof of vaccination to go in. And I was like, I am down for this. There will be people who will be pissed and will rend their garments. But this is what I'm here for. Like, I would go to a Bills game if, if you had to show proof of vaccination at the door. I got my vaccine passport loaded right here on my phone. Oh, it doesn't show up in the camera. Um, but I do. Um. But yeah, I don't know. It'll be a while before I'm ready to go to anything big. I'm just excited to see another human being. Um, yeah, that, that that's interesting unto itself. All right. Anyway, we should probably we should probably roll out of here. 
we've hit the magic two hour mark. That's pretty long for a show. Um, Bob, hit us up with some patron shout outs. Yeah. So thank you very much to Joseph Peralta, Carl Halperin, Michael Dinos, Michael Draper, my Brett, not my Brett personally, but someone's Brett, Ninjabi, the Rainmaker, Richard Ruain, Rory McLeod, and Savannah Sizer. And thank you to everyone for listening tonight. If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. The Queen's Time, you're welcome. Uh, Come join us live on Twitch, where you can chat with the other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. If you can't make the live show, check out our podcast each week, wherever you get your podcasts. And take a listen to some of the other shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as Mastery Dungeons, Bone Stone Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Talking Games, The Gnomecast, Jambu Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming and BS. Before you rend your shirt open in anger to vent your passion at your enemy, leave us some feedback. <laughs> you can reach us directly <laughs> via at email, mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Check us out on the Twitters. The show of the network is at Misdirected Mark. He's Robert M. Everson. He is GM Gerrymander. I am DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Shangu Hustle is at patreon.com slash Shangu Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Mr. Mark production, the media arm of Encoder Designs. Mic drop! We out! <laughs>